It's time for the Smart Money Questions Podcast with Matt Hausman. This is the show that provides you with a sound financial education and helps you avoid financial pitfalls. Make sure you are asking the right questions by listening to the Smart Money Questions Podcast. Hey everyone, Matt Hausman here, Smart Money Questions Podcast, coming back at you. And if you heard the side thought I did before, it was essentially talking about an ongoing case study that we have done for a client that came on board with us back in the first quarter of 2012. And the things that we've done year over year over year, and what I'm going to do today is I'm going to finish up. So now where are they at at the end or the fourth quarter now of 2018? So just to kind of go back over, when we first met with them, he was 64, she was 63. His goal was to retire at his full retirement age of 66. She was already retired. Their overall assets, when you looked at where they were from a tax position, is 82% of all of their assets were in qualified retirement accounts, 401k, IRA, 403b, what have you. 18% were in non-qualified or after-tax investments, either in individual stock holdings or bonds, individual savings bonds for the most part. And they had two homes. They had a primary home here, and then they had a home down south, a vacation home. And so as I talked about on the last one, and if you didn't hear it, I would suggest going back and listening to it, kind of the things that we were looking at, because one of the things that came up very quick, you know, we met in February, March of 2018, and his goal was to work for a couple more years, was he got told in December of that year, essentially, here's a retirement package. See you later. Thanks for being here. And so it kind of jolted, obviously jolted them a little bit. And when we initially met and where we had positioned things, our planning was based on retiring in a couple of years. So then that happened. And I would suggest going back and listening to kind of how we adjusted and kind of moved things around. And we kind of were able to make that happen to where, yeah, I'm sure there was some emotional issues that came from being with a company 36, 37 years and being told pretty quickly thanks for your service. Here's the package. But then at least they didn't have to worry financially. So what we talked about the last time as we were ending was kind of what we did in the tax year. And if you'll notice what I'm doing is I'm doing this based on tax year, January to December every year and what we're looking at and when we're looking at it. So in that case, January of 2015 to December, he was going to use a social security strategy that was available at the time called file and suspend. He was going to go in And that's essentially raising your hand to Social Security saying, hey, I'm here, but I don't need my money. Don't send it to me. And that allows his wife to go in and collect a spousal benefit, which would be half of his. And what that's going to do is it's going to allow both of their own benefits to grow at 8% annually up until the age of 70. So we put that in place. We reduced their IRA withdrawals. But we continued, and we knew we were still going to continue to look at any spend down or converting or putting the money into life insurance that we had put in place a couple years before. And the benefits around the life insurance really were the cash value that we were going to be accruing. So when we build these programs, what we end up doing is the IRS has a certain set of rules around how you build them. And so we build them right to those specs. So it's really more of a cash position play than it is a life insurance play. Many of the clients 
that I have that we've put these type of programs in place, they'll always hear me talk about this is not legacy planning. This is not like you're going to leave a big estate of life insurance to your heirs or to a charity. This is strictly a cash position play for you. And so in moving that money in, we're using after-tax money to go into the life insurance. It's going to grow tax-deferred. And then when it comes out, it's going to be tax-free to the owners of the policy. In addition, we added a long-term care benefit. And so they would essentially be able to use that policy not only for death, but most importantly, cash while they're still living and or they can access a long-term care benefit to help cover any type of care expenses. Oh, by the way, one of the things, the original goal in our Social Security strategy was that when he filed and suspended, he was not going to collect his own Social Security until his age 70. And she was going to collect the spousal until her age 70. And then he was going to go on his, and it would have grown by 32%. And she was going to be able to also capture that 32% growth. So just to let you know, that was the original plan when we first met all the way back in 12 and what we were then beginning to exercise in 2015. So 2015 comes and goes. Everything's hunky-dory. 2016 happens. For the most part, it was exactly the same as 15. We were doing the same equation. We were looking at, okay, how much are we going to move out of the IRAs? And what was that tax cost going to be? And so we did that. 16, for the most part, was identical to 15. And then January to December of 2017, we're still sticking, at least at the beginning part of the year, to the initial plan. So she's still taking Social Security spousal benefits. We're taking money out of the IRA. We were hitting the capital gains a little bit, going ahead and recognizing that because the capital gain rate is lower than ordinary income, but we're wanting to keep it within reason. And then as we're going through... And looking at the end, we're in the fourth quarter now, right around this time of year, we're looking at the fourth quarter of 2017, and we're looking at, okay, what opportunities do we have again for moving money out of the IRA and either spending it down or directing it into the life insurance program that, again, kind of remind you, we were looking to fund that over a five to six-year period of time. But when we sat down at the end of 2017, this is a year ago right now, and we're looking at these different opportunities, all of a sudden, something else they were getting ready to tell me was going to change. You see, initially, the idea was to stay retired up here, stay in the house that they were living in, their primary home up here, and then be able to vacation in the home that they have down south. But now, as we're talking at the end of 2017, the idea is, you know, Matt, we think we want to unload our house up here. And we're looking to move over to this new location and that's going to create an additional expense of this much per month. And I was like, Oh, okay. You know, so let's talk about what's the reasoning, you know, so we went kind of down through that. Well, you know, we don't know that we want to keep the upkeep on the house anymore. This place that we're going to end up going to, quite frankly, they take care of everything. The only thing we got to do is make our bed in the morning, right? And everything else is done. And it looks like a really engaged type of community. And that's the direction that we want to go. And so, Matt, what we're looking for you to tell us is, can we do it? And many times that's when, when there's a big change like that, that's something that we get asked to do. Is it doable? Can we do it? Is it going to mess things up? 
So I go back and I start running things around, looking at the different numbers, what makes sense, where are we going to take money, what's going to be the sale of the home, how much is going to be left after remodeling and broker fees, real estate fees, things like that. What can we do with that? And long story short, what came back was 2017 for that tax year, again, January to December, we were going to pretty much mimic what we had done in 15 and 16. But the original idea was for him to turn on Social Security at the end of 2018 and for her to wait until the end of 2019 to turn hers on. So in going back and running the numbers, what I realized is I don't know that that's the best direction based on what they're wanting to change now. We're creating an increase in cost of living. And so the recommendation for now 18 was, okay, well, I think he needs to go and apply for his own Social Security benefit to begin January of 2018. She's still going to collect the spousal for the year of 2018, but then she's going to go and elect her own benefit in January of 2019. And I did that strategically based on the tax year. Okay. The one thing that we were able to see is that his Social Security now, because we had delayed and we had been able to reposition assets from qualified retirement account into the cash value life insurance, or we were spending it down just for living needs. And his Social Security was going to see an increase compared to if he would have pulled it at full retirement age of 26%. That's a pretty big increase. Now, when she goes, and she'll end up doing this in January of 2019, so just a couple months away, she also is going to see a 26% increase in her Social Security. So the other thing we did for this year, 2018, is we further reduced the IRA withdrawals because now their income is going to go up because now he's going to be getting his full benefit plus the retirement credits increased of 26%. So there isn't a reason to necessarily have those IRA withdrawals We're still going to review the conversions. Actually, we're going to end up doing that over the next couple of weeks and seeing if it still makes sense maybe to convert some of it and push that over into the insurance or, if anything, just spend it down. I believe I mentioned this before. The benefit of having the insurance and how we structure it is that we don't have to put the original amount in year over year. We just can't put more than that amount in. So we can put less. It can be a great place to stash cash because of the tax-free benefits of the growth and the withdrawals for the owner of the policy. So we'll start going to review that. We know that she's going to be taking her own Social Security in 2019. So now what's happened is we're going to have full Social Security benefits moving forward in 2019 and beyond. The other thing that's going to happen is his minimum distributions are going to be required next year. So more than likely, that's going to offset the idea of drawing down any more on the IRAs. And they're still going to have the opportunity to put money into the insurance or quite frankly, just go spend the money, whatever they want to do. Because what we've been able to do now and through this planning process from 2012 to the end of 2018 is his Social Security grew by 26%. Her Social Security grew by 26%. But here's the thing that, quite frankly, I just get excited about when I look at where they're going to be now moving forward 
from age 70 and beyond is their assets, if you remember, IRA assets to non-qualified assets to Roth life insurance assets, they had 82% of all of their money in IRAs. Because of what we've been able to do, that's been reduced all the way down to 38%. Their non-qualified money, they only had 18% there, of which a good chunk of that had capital gain and was bonds that had already expired. Those are taxed as ordinary income. We were able to move that from 18% to 42% of their overall asset base. And we were able to move the money that they have in their life insurance now is 20% of their overall assets. Now, the reality is we probably won't put any more money in that. We might over the course of time, but there really isn't a need to because of the way we structured it. But the other thing, when I went and I did the numbers, especially now with where the tax law is, the strategies that I just talked about year over year over year over year is going to be even less expensive on the tax cost because of the reduction in the tax rates. And to kind of go over that, you can go listen to a podcast on how it individually affected Maggie and I for when we just filed our taxes. But what I wanted to do is I want to go back and I want to list the income now and let you see how much is there and the benefit of doing that year over year over year and where they're at. So just to kind of give you an idea based on where their social security is, where their minimum distribution is, which by the way, was reduced because while we were delaying social security, we were not only spending it down more than what they needed and putting the other money that they didn't need at the time into life insurance, the minimum distribution, at least right now, and in the near future, should not create a problem of excess tax cost. Quite frankly, the reality is they're probably never going to need to take any more than the minimum distribution. Now, they might decide to do that over the course of the next four, five, six years. Why? Because the tax cost is lower. The current tax rates are only in place until 2025. So maybe it does make sense for them to take more. But the reality is what we were able to do since the tax year of 2013 is reduce their IRAs down to a reasonable amount where the minimum distribution should not create an undue tax bill or an increase in their Medicare cost. And based on the new tax law, they still should be able to recognize anywhere from an eight to a $12,000 long-term capital gain rate And based on doing that, the total income in their pocket is actually over $110,000 a year, just in those three categories. So $110,000 a year is coming in from those different resources. But the thing that was so interesting when I actually, I kind of did what I call a tax what if, many of you have heard me talk about that report, the tax what if report showed that even though they were putting over $100,000 into their pocket, that they were only paying tax on $46,000. How in the world can that be? Well, it's because now where they're taking it from, they can be what I call tax diversified. Their total tax cost is less than $4,000 at the federal level. So in doing that year over year over year, recognizing the opportunities, knowing and being okay with creating a taxable event right there for the long-term benefit 
in this situation, unless tax rates really skyrocket, their tax rate should be relatively low compared to what they're putting in their pocket from this day moving forward. And that's the biggest benefit. So not only is it the idea of financial planning, financial planning, in my opinion, it really should be holistic in nature. We should be looking at everything. It's not just the investments. It's how can the investments and the tax opportunities and the legacy planning and the income distribution, how is all of that going to work together to be able to achieve what it is that you are looking to have your money do for you? Again, many people hear me talk about the purpose of money. And in this particular case, the purpose was if we go all the way back to what they were talking about, and many people say this, is I don't want to worry about running out of money. And quite frankly, I remember speaking to him multiple times, and I don't want to wait on taking Social Security. I paid into that for a long time. And all of a sudden now, look at where we are. You know, three years of delaying gave us the opportunity to reposition assets to where now the tax cost moving forward, whether it's last year's tax rates or even this year's, because of how the income is reported, they're going to be in a very low overall tax cost. So hopefully that's been beneficial. What I was hoping to do with this is to kind of be able to show or articulate to you what a planning process looks year over year over year, recognizing or at least analyzing what opportunities, if any, exist. And as things change, so in this particular case, a forced early retirement that was not expected, the idea of initially we were going to stay in our home forever, now we want to unload it, and we're going to move somewhere else that's going to create an increase in our living expenses. This can hopefully help you see how an ongoing planning process kind of works. Because many times I hear from people, you know, I don't know what this planning process works. Quite frankly, I'm looking at retirement. It's a big paradigm shift. I'm a little fearful. I'm not going to be getting a paycheck. I don't even know what to expect on the other side when that plan or planning starts to happen. And as somebody, there was someone that had a question for us a couple months back. And the idea was, I don't even know what the plan looks like. Is it a one-time thing? Or does it change year over year? And the reality is it's constantly changing. Either lifestyle is dictating that change or taxes are doing that change or kids, grandkids, et cetera. I mean, you can really fill in the blank. There's so many things that can create that change. So the planning process is ongoing. And that's really what I was hoping to get across over the last one and this one. And I'm hoping it's been helpful to help you kind of see what it is we do, how we do it, and the benefits that come when you go through that process. If anything, the peace of mind to be able to know that there's someone that is helping you in reviewing everything that you have. So that's all I've got for today. Matt Hausman, smartmoneyquestions.com, smartmoneyquestionspodcast. If you have a question or a scenario, kind of like what I described over the last two, please email us at info at smartmoneyquestions.com or simply go to our page, smartmoneyquestions.com. There's a form right there. You can fill it out, send it right over to us. That's where all of our other podcasts are, the videos that we've done, other resources that are always available to you. So that's all I've got for today. Matt Hausman signing off. Everybody have a great week. We'll talk to you soon.